I have a short message today. I'm not going to ask you if you like short messages, but most people do. We used to have a member of the church that if I went past 45 minutes, he'd be at the back like this with his watch. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little more subtle than that. But I'm trying to be conscious of time. And as I was sharing a minute ago, God is changing my concept of the ministry. <clears throat> I love to teach. I can preach for hours. I think I've set a few Guinness records in my day, uh, going seven, eight hours at a stretch, teaching without stopping. I love to teach the Word. But more and more, God is speaking to me about the need for us to come to Him, to experience Him, to be in His presence. And that's where real change can occur. Yes, there's a time and a place for teaching, preaching, instruction, and all of those things. But I think right now God is trying to balance it a little bit more in the direction of us learning how to come into the presence of the Lord and worship Him and experience His glory. Okay? Acts chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 14. Acts 4, 1 to 14. Ready? The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Very important event has just taken place in chapter 3. They've healed a crippled man who had been there at the gate to the temple begging for years. Everybody knew the man. And now, all of a sudden, the Bible says he's leaping and dancing and praising God. Wouldn't you be if you'd been lame for so many years? And now you've supernaturally experienced God's healing power? He was praising God, and it created quite a stir. So that's the background here. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, all these religious leaders, verse 2, they were greatly disturbed. Isn't it amazing how Jesus disturbs religion? It's amazing how He upsets the religious order, the religious people. He is not religious. One of the first books I read that helped me immensely, How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. You may think they're the same thing. They're not. We can have a whole set of rules and laws and regulations, traditions, ceremonies that we follow. Oh, we're so religious. And we're dead. We have no life at all. Jesus didn't come to bring religion. He came to bring life and life more abundantly. So the religious establishment is greatly disturbed because of the apostles teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now think about this. How foolish religion can make people. Who has a problem with the dead being brought back to life? I mean, is that a problem for anyone? Apparently. Because that's all they were proclaiming. Resurrection of the dead, or perhaps this is the part that was most disturbing, in Jesus. In Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. So, verse 3, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. And the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name... Did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, 
If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I love the Word of God. What I love about the Word of God is you can study it your whole life long. You can read the Bible a hundred times, and the hundred and first time you're going to see something new. It happens all the time because it's a living Word. Each month or each year that passes, you've gone through different experiences, and now when you come back to the Word, it speaks to you in a different way according to your life experience. It's living. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Just a few comments on the early verses that we just read here. Again, there's a big disturbance because of Jesus. Because of a healing. Isn't it amazing how people get upset with a healing? They get upset with the hope of resurrection? I mean, if you think about it, it's not even logical. Any human being should be happy to hear about a sick person getting healed, about a person with some sort of a disabling disease or condition, being able to walk again, being able to talk again, and yet the real issue is Jesus. It's the Jesus that they were proclaiming, and it's the Jesus that was causing these things to happen. When they were questioned in verse 7, by what power or what name did you do this? Now, they've just gotten out of jail, okay? Wisdom would tell them, you know, let's, let's be a little easy on the preaching stuff. You know, we, want, we don't want to go back on the clink. So let's be politically correct. Let's just, you know, keep a low profile and stay out of trouble here. I love verse 8. What does it say? Verse 8? Uh-oh. Okay. Read it with me, slowly. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, keep it there. Keep it there. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said. I like that. How different our day-to-day lives would be if we were filled with the Holy Spirit before we spoke. Hello? How often we get into a mess... Because instead of opening wide our mouth so that God can fill us with the Holy Spirit, venom comes out. I'm not going to go too far on that one, but I think you get the message. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. That should challenge you and me. Was he in church? No, he was on trial. 
We think, oh, well, on Sunday, you know, we got to be filled with the Holy Spirit because we're in church and the pastor's around and they're going to they're gonna see us and we got to be on our best behavior. Monday's a different story. Oh, that I can be filled with the Holy Spirit on Monday morning, Tuesday night, Thursday midday, that I can be filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. That's what it says, be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. I like that order. Peter, first filled with the Holy Spirit, said. Get filled with the Holy Spirit first before you say anything. <laughs> filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, well, we're not really sure. We prayed a little prayer. You know, we don't know what happened, but he's better now. You know, let, let, why don't we just leave it, leave it at that? It's not how he spoke. Then know this. Now, if, as, you're, as you're listening to me read this, Who's in charge here? Are the religious leaders in charge or is Peter in charge? Sounds like Peter's in charge to me. You listen! Know this! You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Apparently, Peter never learned political correctness. <laughs> he just wasn't very polished in that area. And I don't want to go too far afield today, but how tired I am of hearing, and pardon my French, but I'm going to use it, mealy-mouthed, politicians that say one thing today, say something else tomorrow, just to garner votes. Words are very cheap in the political realm. And you say what's correct for this group, you change your message tomorrow because there's a different group there. And by the end of the whole cycle, you're like, what does this guy believe? What does this woman really stand for? She said this here, he said this there. Peter apparently never went to that school. You want to know why this guy is healed? It is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He made sure, absolutely sure, they understood who he was talking about. Oh, but it gets better. Whom you crucified. Oh, Peter's really out to win a lot of friends today, isn't he? Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That's why this man stands before you healed. And just to rub it in a little bit more, he quotes an Old Testament prophecy and tells them they fulfilled it. The stone that you builders rejected has become the capstone. Whoa! Try that one on your boss or your neighbor or your co-worker. You're fulfilling Scripture! Not in a good way. And then, if that hadn't already really ruffled their feathers, here comes verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. Oh boy, you get in trouble when you start talking like that. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Hold it there. Nowadays, you know, we have to be careful. Well, you know, many roads lead to heaven, and, you know, whatever you believe might work, you know. 
Islam, Buddhism, you know, if you believe in hugging trees, that'll probably work. You know, all roads lead to heaven. All roads are going to take you to the same place. So we can all coexist. You've probably seen that bumper sticker, coexist with all the different religions. I hate that thing. It's a lie from the pit. No, we need to be serious. It's a lie. We can all coexist. I don't have a problem with that. But they're not all the same. They're not all the same. And you and I need to get a hold of the boldness that Peter had, filled with the Holy Spirit, to stand up in the marketplace in these last days and say, there is only one name by which we can be saved. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Everything else is going to lead you to hell and destruction. Jesus is the only way. People don't like that. People do not like that. My father, he was a very gentle, soft-spoken man. He never really got riled up very often, but he did one night. Shortly after I'd gotten saved, I came back all fired up, full of the Holy Spirit. I sat my mom and my dad down at the dinner table, and I preached the gospel to them. And my dad was a, a, like a leader in the Episcopal Church. He was very religious. And we started to argue. And I said, Dad, there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. What's no one mean? No one. You mean no one? No one can come to the Father but by me. He said, are you trying to say none of the other religions are going to take people to heaven? I said, exactly. We're not talking about religions taking people anywhere. We're talking about a name. We're talking about a person. Jesus is the only way. Boy, he pounded his fist on the table and said, no way, I can't accept that. Thankfully, he did before he died. Thankfully, he did. It's clear. It's simple. Salvation is found in no one else. We don't have to get angry and pound our fists and shout at people, but we need to be firm and let them know. You know, whatever else you're trying to bring salvation to your life, it's hopeless. It's a dead end. There's only one salvation. It is in the name of Jesus. I like this language. Is found in no one else. For there is no other name. Some people say, how come you Christians are so exclusive? You think you're the only ones with the answer. You're the only ones that are right. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not about us. It's not about us. We may be wrong a lot. But Jesus is the one that stated to make it simple. There's only one way. There's only one name, only one true salvation. It's already been given to men by which we must be saved. Now, we come to my message, verse 13. When they saw, say that with me. When they saw, they were taking notice of something. They saw the absence of political correctness. They, they saw the absence of dip, diplomatic speech. When they saw the courage, King James says boldness, of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay, we're going to park it right there for a little while. Depending on your Bible translation, it may give different flavors to this verse, but I think you get the idea. These were raw fishermen. And literally, it says unschooled. 
the Greek word, you may recognize uh, the root in it. It's agrammatos. They were not very grammatical. We get grammar from that word, or grammatical. They weren't lettered. They were illiterate, unlearned, uneducated, untrained. Those are all the different meanings that come out in various translations. Unlettered, illiterate, unlearned, uneducated, untrained. Now, this is the part I love. These are the two main guys that Jesus has prepared for this thing called the church. How differently Jesus does things. If you were going to start a worldwide movement, and really, it's all about speaking. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. These are going to be spokesmen. They have to be able to rightly speak to people, to groups in public, to get across this message of the kingdom. Wouldn't you have gone straight to the university and looked for lettered people? Literate, highly trained, highly educated people? Jesus didn't. He called fishermen. And the next part is ordinary in the NIV. Wait till you hear the Greek word. You're going to know immediately what it means. Ready? Idiotes. That's right. They were ignoramuses. That's the real meaning of the word. Idiots. Unlearned, uneducated, untrained, ignoramuses, idiots, ignorant men. It says in King James. Wow. Jesus chose the brightest and the best for this new movement called Christianity. Yes, he did. Because there's nothing wrong with education, there's nothing wrong with training, there's nothing wrong with learning how to read. I'm a teacher. But those things can get in the way also. If we're depending on our letters and our learning and our knowledge and all of our higher education, instead of depending on what we read in verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. What we need in these last days are men and women filled with the Holy Spirit in the marketplace, speaking what God puts in their mouth to speak. Unschooled, ignorant men. They saw their courage. They also, I mean, it must have been pretty obvious that these guys were a little rough around the edges. Their grammar wasn't that great. But it doesn't end there. They were astonished. And they took note of something else. The boldness captured their attention, their ungrammatical way caught their attention, but they took note that these men had been with Jesus. How simple. They had been with Jesus. Apparently, being with Jesus is a prime prerequisite for ministry. If you want to be able to touch other people's lives, it's at the top of the list. I've been with Jesus. Because after all, what do you and I have to help this twisted, fallen, messed up world? We don't have anything to offer them. Somehow, in the three and a half years that these tough fishermen and other characters were with Jesus, all that time that they spent with Him, walking with Him, listening to Him, watching Him work, 
just being with him, it affected them. It changed them. And the first thing that comes to my mind, and maybe it's in yours also, is when Moses went up into the presence of God, and we, we're talking about this a lot now on Wednesdays, show us your glory, was his prayer. Right? In Exodus 33. Well, very interestingly, in Exodus 34, that's where the Lord passes by and proclaims His name and all of that. But then immediately after that, let's look at it. Exodus 34. Exodus 34, starting at verse 29. Moses goes back up into the mountain, Mount Sinai. And after being up there, it says he came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. He was not aware that his face was radiant. Let's hold this here for a minute. This is very important. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Now get this. In chapter 33, prior to this, is where Moses prayed, Lord, show me your glory. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't take us. We're not going anywhere without you. Now, show me your glory, Lord. Here comes Moses down the mountain. He's got glory on him. Do you all follow that? He has glory on him now. And he's not even aware of it. I would like to suggest that sometimes we're not even aware what we look like. You may not even be aware what other people are seeing. Here comes Moses, his face is shining with the glory of God. Look at the next verse. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. Keep going. So Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded... They saw that his face was radiant. This didn't just happen once. This was happening over and over. Every time he went into the presence of God, he came out glowing. Like molten metal. Face radiant, shining. They couldn't look at him. Then Moses had to put the veil back over his face again. You know, in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul refers to this event. He has a lot to say about it. And we're going to be studying this in more depth eventually on Wednesday nights, but I just want to introduce it to you today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. This whole section in the NIV Bible is entitled, The Glory of the New Covenant. But listen to how Paul develops this. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, he's referring to the old covenant, the two tablets of stone that Moses had in his hands when he came down. If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with, came with, came with glory, how do we know that? Because of what happened to Moses' face so that the Israelites could not steadily look at the face of Moses because of what was on his face. Help me here. 
What was on Moses' face? Glory was on his face. Fading, though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Keep going. If the ministry that condemns, notice he's going back and forth between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. If the ministry that condemns men, that's Moses' ministry, is glorious, and it was. How do we know that? The glory on Moses' face. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Man, there's a lot of glories in here. If you count glory and glorious, this morning I think I counted 13 of them in this one passage that we're reading. It's all about glory. The glory that was on Moses' face was a fading glory. How much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Keep going. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone... Oh, you know I'm going to do this. What's anyone? We have any anyones here? If you're an anyone, raise your hand. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, 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 we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God has been burning this thing inside of me for weeks now. All have sinned, they've missed the mark, and come short of the glory. What is God restoring us to now? Glory. And it's only in glory that you and I are changed. Do you see that in this verse? We're transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory when we come in contact with the glory. Somehow, just spending three and a half years with Jesus, it rubbed off on Peter and John. People could recognize that they had been with Jesus. It's an amazing thing. I don't care if people think, oh, he's so educated, or he's so famous, or he's so rich, or he speaks so well, or da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I don't care about any of that. But man, if people would start saying, you know something? That guy's been with Jesus. What a compliment. What a compliment. That guy has been with Jesus. Now, this may not be a very good analogy, but I think it gets the point across. Um, my wife occasionally will send me on a mission, or sometimes I have to go along with her, to a Sri Lankan store or an Indian store to buy the special spices that they use for their cooking. And I'm not making this up. If you doubt it, I'll, I'll let you try it with me sometime. You go into the store and, you know like I always do when I'm shopping. I want in and out as fast as possible. So I'm throwing stuff in there, get up to the cash register, and I'm gone. I get home, 
And I smell like all those spices. I'm serious. Now, I used to have hair. Your hair smells like the spices. Your clothing, it absorbs the environment. Just going in there and being in all of that fragrance and all of those spices, you absorb it. And anybody that gets near you, brother, man, you been that Indian store again? You smell like curry. People can smell it on you. If you and I are spending time in the presence of Jesus, people are going to smell the fragrance. Paul talks about that in the next chapter of 2 Corinthians. We are a fragrance, either of death or of life. But if you're spending time with Jesus, that fragrance rubs off on you. You begin to absorb something of the essence as you're uh, abiding in His Word, as you're worshiping in His presence, as you're walking with Him, lo and behold, you're being transformed. <clears throat> Recently, Fauci had to do some work at my daughter's apartment. And <laughs> he told me something that she said to him. He probably remembers it. I don't, I don't know how he took it, but I, I'm, I think it was meant in a certain way to be a compliment, although hard to say what the motivation was coming from my daughter. But anyway, if I'm getting it right, Fauci, she basically said, man, you sound like my dad. <laughs> Is that right? Huh? You sound a lot like my dad. Well, what is dad always talking about? Jesus, God, the kingdom. And here comes Fauci. Oh no, he sounds like my dad now. Good. Good. They took note that they had been with Jesus. Oh, that people would say that about us. I don't care what else they have to say, but if they would just take note, something about that guy, there's something on him. Just like they saw something on Moses when he came down from the mountain. He must have been in the presence of God today. He must have been with Jesus today. Face is shining. Face is radiant. This is so important. Go with me to Mark chapter 3. I promised this was going to be short, and it really is. I'm almost done. Mark 3. I want you to notice the order in this little passage. This is when Jesus first called Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles. What was the order of priorities in their calling? Mark 3, from verse 13 to 14. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. Okay? He appointed twelve, designating them apostles. That they might, what? What's the first priority here? What were they called to do? Be with Him. We often jump to the second one. Oh, send me out to preach! I'm a preacher, man! Let me preach! If you haven't spent time with Jesus, you have nothing to say. To be with him so that then he might send them out to preach, and verse 15, and to have authority to drive out demons. Oh, pastor, I want, I want that power to cast out demons. I want to be able to preach, man. I, I want to be in front of 10,000 people. 
Great. That's God's will. It'll happen. But make sure you don't miss the first step. He called them to be with him. And apparently that was so important that that was what people noticed about them as they moved around from place to place. Something different about these guys. They've been with Jesus. I think I've shared this story also. My mom had an identical twin, and very early uh, after her twin sister got married, she and her husband moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and they lived there for years. And unbeknownst to her, she picked up a southern accent in Memphis. And even after she moved back to Maryland years later, that accent stayed there. You know, we pick up things and we don't even realize it. And I'm not talking about learning a particular language accent, but the disciples had been around Jesus for three and a half years and they started to sound like Him. They started to pick up that spiritual accent. You guys talk the same way He talked. Good. That's what we're called for, to be with Him. To be with Him. To be like Him. You know, as years go by, I'm more and more aware of the fact there are no shortcuts on this. You can try to skip that first part and jump right to preaching, ministry, casting out devils, starting big churches or whatever. But if you miss the first part, you've missed everything. Because it's all about following Jesus. It's all about being with Him. And I think our little group here, God is really focusing us back on being with Him. Sitting at His feet. Worshipping Him. Enjoying His presence. Getting to know Him better. And I guarantee you, after a morning like we've had here, basking in the presence of God, worshipping the Lord, you're going to go home different. People are going to smell something on you. You've picked up a fragrance today. Where have you been? I've been with Jesus. I've been with Jesus. And we don't come to church on Sunday to learn how to be a Christian. Listen to me carefully here. We don't come here to learn how to be a Christian. <laughs> We come to meet with Him and be transformed into His likeness. It's two totally different things. One is just up in the head. Oh, we can, we can teach how to be a Christian, how you're supposed to act, and it won't work. You won't be able to turn your other cheek when somebody smacks you. You won't be able to forgive. But when Christ is in you, and you're in Christ... And you've been in His presence. And like we read in 2 Corinthians, we're going to go back there to finish in a moment. You're changed. You're transformed. And I'm not saying I'm old yet. But I've been doing this for 42 years. And some things have worked and some things haven't. And more and more, I am placing my confidence in the presence, the power, the glory, the anointing of God's Holy Spirit to change people. Not me, not my personality, not my clever teachings or preachings or messages, but God's presence and glory to transform people's lives. We read about the glory that was on Moses' face. It was fading but this glory we have now, my friends, it's going to last. And if you go back, and I'm going to give you some homework here, go, go back to 2 Corinthians 3, and your homework is to read this chapter again. And pay close attention to every time it talks about glory or glorious. And one thing you're going to be totally convinced about, the New Testament church, the New Covenant ministry that he's called all of us to be a part of, it is glorious. We're in a glorious church. We have a glorious ministry. 
This is not something down on the ground that we have to make apologies for. This is a glorious ministry. Why? Because the spirit of glory, God's Holy Spirit, is behind the whole thing. And in 2 Corinthians 3 again, he talks about a ministry that has surpassing glory to anything Moses had. Well, I think Moses was pretty cool, don't you? Come on, Morgan, wouldn't that be cool? You go into your little prayer closet in the morning, and you get on the bus or however you get to school, and your classmates are like, good Lord, give me some sunglasses. What is that on Morgan's face? She is shining today. That'd be pretty cool, right? Well, we have something better. We have something better. It's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how he spoke. And they saw, hmm, something about this dude. He's not educated. He's not trained to do this. But something is on him. He's been with Jesus. Now, in closing, we read it earlier. Last verse in this chapter, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we... If you're a we, stand. Or raise your hand if you're incapacitated. <laughs> Come on, man, you're not incapacitated. There we go. And we, read it with me. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, a number of translations will read a little bit differently at the beginning here. I think both of them are good. A lot of them, New American Standard Amplified, say, Beholding as in a mirror the glory. Beholding as in a mirror the glory. Here it says, our faces are reflecting the glory. So both ideas are there, but the point I want to make is we're looking at glory. That's how you get changed, looking at glory. We all are looking at the Lord's glory, and it's reflecting back onto our face. And we're being transformed into His likeness. We get like Him. We start talking like Him, sounding like Him, with ever-increasing. I like that word. Ever-increasing. Not fading, like Moses' glory, getting stronger. Ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You know... We are kind of like the moon. The Bible says the moon is a faithful witness. Well, God set the greater light, the sun, and the lesser light in Genesis. The moon has no light. It has no light at all. It is dark and barren, full of craters. It, does, it can't produce any light. If you see a full moon... In the night sky, what you're really looking at is the moon reflecting the glory of the sun. Note those words, reflecting the glory of the sun. Now, every once in a while, you have what's called a new moon. What's a new moon? It's a no moon. <laughs> no moon. But you're getting ready to start the cycle again. But a new moon is when it's not in the path of the sun and nothing's reflecting for you to see. It's totally dark. It's up there, but you don't see it because it's black. It's just totally dark. And then you start to see a little sliver, a little bigger crescent, and then 
goes through all of the phases. But the moon has no light of its own. You and I have no light. We have nothing. We're empty. We're barren. We're bankrupt. We don't have anything at all. All we can do is look into the face of the sun and reflect what's coming from that sun. And with ever-increasing glory, we are being transformed. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I praise you today that you've called us to be with Jesus, to be with him. Lord, let us not miss the importance of that priority, spending time in your presence, in prayer, in meditation, in worship, in singing, in hearing your word, in just waiting for you. Lord, help us to master this, that when people see us in the marketplace, they will react the same way they did with Peter and John. These men and women have been with Jesus. Lord, I pray, as you promised in Isaiah, that in these last days, greater light and greater glory would come upon your church and upon your people. God, you've called us to a glorious ministry. I pray that the ministry of the gospel throughout the earth in these last days would increase in glory. Put greater glory upon your preachers, your pastors, your prophets, your apostles, your Sunday school teachers, whoever it is that is representing you. Put greater glory upon them now, O oh God, because this is a glorious church and it's a glorious ministry. Oh Lord, change us, transform us as we look into the face of Jesus Christ. Let us reflect that glory as we go out from here, even today and throughout this coming week. Lord, let people see your light shining through us. Lord, we must decrease and you must increase. It's not we that the people need to see, it's you that they need. Lord, we pray that you would be high and lifted up and all men would be drawn unto you. We surrender, we give our lives to you now, Bless and keep each one of us as we leave this place. Not leaving your presence, but leaving this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.